0: Welcome to Fucking Canceled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. Today we are joined by sex writer, educator, and bisexual icon, Zachary Zane of Boy Sled.
1: Bonjour, hi, bonjour, hi.
0: Bonjour, hi. la bonjour, bonjour, hi, bonjour. So, welcome back to Fucking Cancel. Welcome back to Fucking Cancel. Today, we are joined by Zachary Zane, author of the book Boy Slut. Hi, Zachary. Thanks for being with us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm excited here.
0: Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and also your new book, Boy Slut?
2: Sure. Uh, so, as you said, my name is Zachary Zane, and I'm a sex and relationship columnist. I write the sex and relationship advice column, Sexplain It, at Men's Health Magazine. And I recently got a non monogamy column called Navigating Non Monogamy. Not the sexiest title, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, at a yeah. Cosmo where i've really been enjoying this i've been able to kind of delve into the nitty-gritty because i feel like non-monogamy is so mm. po- everyone and their mother is non monogamous these days but like the <laughs> two the two articles that i just see in every way shape or form are like how to open up your relationship and mm-hmm. how to not be jealous or how mm-hmm. to navigate jealousy and i'm like i've been poly for about a decade i'm not opening up my relationships right I, if i'm jealous i <laughs> right. talk to my partner about it and i know how to communicate and that doesn't happen often and it's a very simple solution but I still have 10 billion things I struggle with that I haven't seen addressed. So it's just been exciting to kind of like delve into like a more nuanced 201, 301 kind Mm -hmm. of like takes as opposed to like just the introductory. So that's been a really fun column. Um, And yeah. And then, so I have my book, Boy Sluts and Memoir and Manifesto, which just came out a couple months ago. And in short, that book is about how to overcome sexual shame.
1: Mm -hmm. And I write
2: it through my perspective, which is, you know, a bisexual man It's very polyamorous, it's very kink positive, it's very sex positive, obviously. Um, I write with a lot of humor, I write in a very graphic and raunchy way, and that's just not Actually, for shock value, it's or not just for shock value, I should say part of it is (laughs) funny and ridiculous. You know what I mean? But I I feel like especially with so much talk about sexuality and bisexuality generally, Mm. there's this idea of we kind of like neuter the sexuality part because we want to be more palatable to like Mm. mainstream audiences, specifically straight audiences. And I'm like, no, sex is a huge part of my sexuality. I am a slut. <laughs> like, like, like absolutely. Like, I don't want to remove that. And it's the way that older gays used to do that. And they realized that that actually didn't work. When they're like, oh, we're just like you. And then kind of the gays were like, no, we're actually not just like you. And the way we have right. sex is different. And I want to be proud of that. But that trying to be more heteronormative or less sexual and less raunchy, um, it hasn't worked, right? And so I think it's very important to kind of bring sex back into sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, And then kind of another element of it is I actually grew up in a sex-positive household, all things considered. I had gay uncles on both sides of my family, Mm -hmm. my mom's brother, my dad's brother. I grew up, like, Jewish and liberal in Los Angeles. Uh, I knew plenty of faggots. You know what I mean? Everyone was flaming. It's great. And still, I had so much sexual shame. Uh, And that's just because sex negativity and puritanical culture is so insidious and pervasive. And even though my parents were good, you know, I still picked it up from media, society, peers, teachers. And I just kind of hadn't seen that lens. Like often it was like, it's almost like, okay, I'm a little gay boy from the South who had severe trauma and got kicked out of his family for being gay and was part of the church. And of course that story is important and needs to be told. But I remember hearing it and being like, so what's my problem? Like, (laughs) like, why, why am I so fucked up when I actually had a good upbringing? It's like, okay, so unless if you've lived in like a like nudist poly cult in the middle of fucking nowhere without internet like like otherwise we're exposed to society and we're all going to experience it so trying to kind of just write my experience in a way that i haven't seen written before and especially haven't seen the bi male perspective really tackled Mm -hmm. in this way as well Mm -hmm. sorry that was a lot i kind of rambled there no no that's (laughs) perfect
1: thank you we're definitely going to get into the bisexuality in a second but speaking of like puritanical shit and like shame and People having a hard time with all this stuff. Have you have you gotten in trouble yet for uh, your writing about sex? It's I have I got in
2: trouble? I definitely like. I mean, people obviously send me hate mail and fucking hate it, but that's like obviously to be expected. <laughs> um, I know there was something where I was originally invited to the White House under Obama. Obviously, this was uh, so I think twenty fifteen or sixteen to like the okay. bisexual White House briefing uh i was like a bi <laughs> it sounds ridiculous and i know it is but something like every letter had something and being <laughs> like how do we help you know a lot of it was dedicated to like the larger health disparities that bi people face and how to mm-hmm. be more inclusive and the the idea was good i was invited to that and then i learned kind of it happened again not under trump uh, but under biden i was not invited and i learned the reason why from the bi community was because i'm too raunchy and too sexual mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and so i did not get that invite and they were afraid of bringing me and it's like also i know when to be watching so i'm not going to be talking to like, the, <laughs> white if like, the white house and be like i was too. getting gp'd
1: and fucking
2: sucking dick and gagging on it like no, i'm obviously not, like i know when the fuck to say Yeah, I, I know yeah you know, my audience here and i guess but they were very worried about that and i thought that was interesting being like i i don't think you're actually benefiting the movement by yeah again as i was kind of saying earlier removing sex uh from sexuality. Totally. Yeah. Or
1: like just pretending that people like have never heard of any of this stuff when they're all like at home jerking off to like hardcore, like crazy porn and whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's
2: uh. and it's so funny. I think in the beginning of my career uh, and I've been writing about bisexuality, that was kind of like my in initially Mm -hmm. um, for almost a decade now as well. And I really would focus a lot, you know, when I write the piece for like Washington Post or Rolling Stone Mm -hmm. or like one of those, like it was always specifically focused on like health disparities. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of my way in. And it was more palatable to be like, okay, we have higher rates of anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts uh, by women struggle with uh, drug abuse at significantly higher rates, domestic Mm -hmm. violence, assault, all of this stuff. And so that was the way to validate our identity and experience, which kind of pisses me off. We're just like, even if we didn't have mental health experience, like uh, disparities at higher rates, like still treat us with respect. Like this Mm -hmm. shouldn't be like why we have to talk about bisexuality. I understand why that is, why we do that. But at the same time, I kind of like, I I slowly kind of worked my way up to being as absolutely ridiculous as I am. I don't want to say ridiculous as raunchy (laughs) and sexual uh, as I am now.
0: Yeah. And I've just been reading Boy Slut all day, so I am right in there with you right now. Um, So one of the things you talk about in uh, Boy Slut, one of the narratives you tell, is the experience with a psychiatrist just straight up telling you that bisexuality does not exist in men. Um, And so I just wanted to ask a little bit about bisexual men um, and the experience of coming out as a bisexual man and why you think it's so difficult for people to imagine men specifically as bisexual.
2: It's so interesting. And I can kind of talk about that experience a little bit. I delve Mm -hmm. on it in the book, but he, I used to think about that experience where he completely invalidated when I'm like, Hey, I might be bi saying, Oh, that doesn't exist in men. Uh, and I would get so angry. And I realized in hindsight kind of why he said it at the time. I, mm-hmm. So I have severe OCD. Now I've been treated mm-hmm. for it. Uh, I've been on, you know, Zoloft and Trazodone for most of my life. I've had like uh, nerve blocks in my neck, uh, which actually like the stellate ganglion block. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it used to like yeah. treat PTSD. It can help with anxiety too. So like I, I, I've been in a lot of therapy, a lot of psychiatry, a lot of everything to help treat this. But so when you have O C D, there's something it used to be called H O C D, homosexual O C D. Now it's called mm-hmm. um S O O C D, um sexual orientation O C D. And it's these men who are not men, but I-, I think I've only read about it in men, is like who think that they are gay, but they're actually not. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well why is that bad? It's like they will leave their wives, they will leave their kids, they will be so obsessed about thinking they are gay, they cannot focus on anything else. And more often than not, those men are not gay. It's just where their obsessions yeah. are taking them. So he was trying to kind of treat my OCD being like, okay, this is clearly an OCD thought. Um also, at the time, there was that big study that came out in Northwestern, I think 2005, 2006, I really should know the date, that kind of, like, proved that bisexuality is not valid in men because they had a small sample size and these guys looked at porn and they were, like, measuring, like, erectile strength or something ridiculous like that. Like, looking at one aspect of sexuality, which is, like, a whole arousal. Oh, shit, did I lose the speaker? I hit something. Fuck. No, you're okay oh good okay yeah um sorry something came up but yeah so like specifically looking at one aspect of sexuality physical arousal and they're like definitively proves that bisexuality does not exist in men and then they like replicated the study a few years later and they're like oh actually when we replicated it we didn't find the same results bisexuality does exist in men but like literally one of the worst (laughs) fucking studies that like again just looking at one small aspect of sexuality uh, and I'm just, like, imagining, like, I probably couldn't get hard if, like, researchers were, like, examining totally. it. I could fucking, like, there's, like, a million factors here that contribute. So I think it was in vogue to say bisexual, male bisexuality doesn't exist. But, um, and then, you know, later in life, obviously I learned it does exist. And I really like, you know, Fritz Klein is this famous, um... Like sex researcher, like Ala Kinsey, although mm-hmm. he doesn't get as much credit, he specifically did bisexuality. He has something called the Fritz Klein sexual orientation grid, mm-hmm. as opposed to um like the Kinsey scale. And the and actually the Fritz Klein sexual orientation grid asks more questions about sexuality. It's worth checking out. It's more um detailed. But he has a book, and he called it just the bisexual option. And I mm. love that language because Spicy. I did not know bisexuality was an option
1: mm. for
2: so. Long and in college, every guy I knew who identified as bi came out as gay shortly after. Mm -hmm. So, because of that, even though I'm like you know ego centric, I'm not delusional. I'm like, I can't be the only fucking bi guy in this world. And obviously, bisexual like bi visibility was not bursting at the seams in Mm -hmm. when I was in college, however many years ago. No, uh, when I was in college 2009, 2010, like around Mm -hmm. this time, there was and there was such a dearth of bi content online, and it was always to kind of prove. To straight and gay people, that we exist. It was always yeah. like, or like 10 things to never say to bisexuals or 10 myths right. about bisexuality, but it was nothing about like bi-, bi content for bi people, like how to deal with internalized biphobia, how to date as a bi person, like when yeah. can I call myself bi? And that was the niche that I kind of filled as a writer and how I became known as the bi guy. But anyway, to answer your <laughs> question, sorry, I'm rambling here. Um, I, I think bisexuality can be very. Threatening in a way. And I honest to God think that a lot more people are by than they're willing to admit. Mm-hmm. I think that's the honest to God truth of it. And I think a lot of people have these same sex attractions. They might be fleeting. They might not be as strong as, you know, opposite sex attractions, but just allowing for this fluidity and accepting this fluidity and other people's lives are going to make you question your own identity in a way that mm. I think makes people extremely uncomfortable. Um, So it's easier to kind of see the world in binary. Um, And then I think there's also this idea, unfortunately, and I'm not blaming gay men. However, gay men have often used it as a stepping stone to being, you know, as, you know, bi on the way to gay. And I understand why they think it's potentially more palatable. They think they can still have quote unquote straight privilege or like their parents will be like, okay, it's okay. They can, uh, you know, still marry a woman. But if that is also your only experience of meeting bi people, bi men, you're just not going to believe that a, a, a bi person exists because every single bi guy you knew used it as a stepping stone. And also because of that, bi people are also significantly less likely to come out as bi due to discrimination, which means other people don't come out as bi and you kind of have this circle here.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: it's it's interesting. I, I think it makes yeah, I, I think it in short, it makes people uncomfortable, it makes them have to question their own sexuality in a way that they are not willing and ready to do.
1: So there's this stereotype, um, well, that you were just touching on, that bisexual men are actually all gay, but the the inverse is true for women, where the stereotype is that bisexual women are actually all straight. Why do you think that is? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I mean, because it, it's always about fucking men. That's what it is. Like, <laughs> Lord forbid, Sad. Lord forbid that, like, oh, I, I'm not actually just attracted to men. I could be attracted to women, and I don't want to like just throw out the word patriarchy in like a vague sense. Or, but like, I, I think that's what it is. I think people are just enamored by the fact that, Lord forbid, it's not all about men in every single capacity. Um, is it, is kind of what I think.
1: That's so funny. Me and Clementine were arguing about this earlier. No, Clementine's all pleased. Yeah, that's you that's agree what I with thought. her. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So, what was your argument then? <laughs> um, my argument was that, like, I think that, um, male same sex att- same sex attraction is. Uh, has been considered to be so deviant that, like, if anyone exhibits any, like, male same-sex sex attraction, then it must mean that they are, like, all the way in, like, secretly, you know? Um, because it's so deviant that, like, they wouldn't exhibit it if they weren't all the way in, you know? It,
2: it, it is... Oh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Go for it.
1: I mean, that's basically that. And then, like, the inverse being that uh, the the sexualization of women is so normalized that no one would be, like, Too shook up by the idea of a woman being like, you know, fooling around with another woman. But this is
0: the part that I disagree with because I'm like, I think that – it isn't that we just have no problem seeing queer women's desire for other women because we just think women are such good sex objects, but it's actually that we don't really believe in queer women's desire for other women because so often the stereotypes about queer women is that like, we're just doing it for attention. Like we're doing it, like if we're having a threesome, it's really about for the guy. So, and also there's like all the stuff about sex. Like the way that people talk about sex is like, they call sex, like straight people, they call sex that isn't penetration with a penis foreplay and so in this in this way of talking about things it's like lesbians can't have sex um and so i feel like that is all kind of the same thing in which and this was jay and i's main disagreement was i was just saying that it's it's like people don't believe in women's desire for each other
2: it's and i think you're both right you're right (laughs) i don't i don't think they're actually in disagreement here i I think we, we don't give men the opportunity to explore uh, the same way as women. And part of that is because, again, we don't believe that female sexual desire, or lesbian desire, sapphic desire is real, right? Mm-hmm. But, and I do talk about this in the book too. It's like we need to allow people, men in particular, to hook up with guys and not immediately label them as gay
1: totally. or
2: as queer or closeted. We need to allow them to be able to explore. I also think we need to just expand the definition of what is considered masculine. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. what is considered straight. I feel like, you know, everything outside of this sh- small narrow idea of masculinity and straightness is, is queer. And I'm like, because we have so much homophobia in this world that kind of forces straight men and cis men into this box. You know, they have to say shit like no homo because they're uh, like, afraid mm-hmm. of just same sex being perceived as gay. And again i'm not trying to be a straight man apologist here like don't be homophobic don't be a piece of shit but i think if we allowed straight men to explore femininity to explore potential same-sex desires to like musical theater or know Mm -hmm. a lot about laura dern's career without calling them gay you know without crying gay wolf i think we'd actually have less homophobia right and so I i think we need to expand the idea of straightness allow men to explore and then come to the conclusion that they are straight and yeah that's not going to Uh, That will help straight men, but that will help gay men, too. And I know, like, gay men are doing it because they actually just want to get dicked down by this hot (laughs) straight dude. And so they're like, he's gay. He's definitely gay. I love it, gay. And it's a funny, cute thing that we do. And I get it. But, like, uh, you know, we contribute to this problem as well. Mm. And we also – and then on the flip side to Clementine, kind of what you're saying is just, like, allowing – is, what like, believing that female sexual desire exists. And, Mm -hmm. like, could not just be for the man and not just for male gays or not just for – that and it's weird because i am also in a lot of swinger spaces when actually that is what exactly what's happening right mm. a, a lot of these women who will like i talk to them like yeah i'm bi but you know i i would never and again i'm not trying to invalidate their bisexuality they can be bi- called in any form but it's the way they speak about it is like yeah I'll, I'll only do it if i'm with my partner in front of my partner for this desire And that's also a valid sexual orientation. They get off on it. They like uh, whatever it is, the eyes on them. They get to explore it. It's fun. But they're like, yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily do this outside of this. So that exists as well. And then there are queer. -er, Again, I feel like I'm getting into murky territory Mm because I don't want to define anyone's queerness here. But definitely women who are like, no, I want to eat pussy like all the fucking time. But with a guy there, without a guy there, I don't give a fuck. This is just for me. Right. So be inclusive of all of it.
0: A lot of my work on bisexuality with women is actually about, like, um, kind of, like, just offering more to those women who are kind of, like, I'll do it with my boyfriend to, instead of get mad at them, kind of, like, open the door. Because I think that a lot of those women are doing that because it's, like, it creates a container that is safe and familiar for them because especially around like sexual initiation and stuff like that, if the guy is kind of in charge and those roles are still in place, it can feel less anxiety producing. And so they can like more comfortably access that, but stepping outside of that women lose their minds, bisexual women lose their minds because like, No one's in charge. No one's the top. No one, they don't even know what a top is. And so, like, because of this, they don't know what to do. And there's like this extreme, like, passivity for passivity, like, thing that goes on. And so, yeah, a lot of my work is being like, okay, so if you like it in front of your boyfriend, and I mean, maybe if you want to leave it there, that's fine. But I think a lot of women secretly don't want to leave it there. And they're, and they're afraid though that, that they're appropriate in gay culture, that they're not queer enough to actually try it on their own, that they have no idea what they're going to do and no one's going to tell them what how they do that, you know? So, yeah. I,
2: I love that. I love, like, just encouraging them to explore more. And it's yeah. always – I think about this in terms of – sometimes I talk about in male bisexuality, too, when we talk about guys who are bi-sexual but hetero romantic, mm-hmm. So meaning that they're down to fuck people of all genders but they only plan on dating – uh or having an emotional relationship with a woman. And I'm like, that sexual orientation is, of course, valid. And that's for a while what I thought what I was. For me personally, that was internalized by phobia. That was fear of dating a man. And I don't want to, you know, assume that's what it is for other people. But at the same time, I do want to open the door, being like, hey, this might be your sexual this, you might want to stop here, kind of as you said, but if you don't here are some ways to kind of totally. get more involved in the bi queer scene mm-hmm. and explore your sexuality. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I, I love that. And I love that approach. And I think sometimes queer world, we can, um we can actually hurt ourselves by policing people's genders and their sexualities like too much, you know? And I think like, like, lesbians actually came around to really loving my work because at first they were just so annoyed by these bicurious women. And they're like, somebody's got to deal with these bicurious women. It's like, it's fine. I'll deal with these bicurious women. They need help. <laughs> you know, it, they're scared.
2: <laughs> it's I. It's so funny. Like, I get it. You got your heart broken by a bicurious woman. Yeah. Like, I fucking get it. And I'm sorry. I get that it. really sucks <laughs> that you really like this girl who said she was bi. Turned out she was just more exploring and really wanted to be with a man you got your heart broken. That sucks. But it's also such a myopic and self-centered experience mm. to be like, oh, by bi- every bi woman is bi-curious. I'm like, for the love of God, like, I'm sorry you got hurt. But like, obviously, that's not every single bisexual person. And I wrote a piece for New York Times, like an op-ed for them a couple years ago. And it was specifically uh kind of deeming you queer enough or bi enough and specifically mm. looking at bi women who are in monogamous relationships with men who often don't feel comfortable being part of the – queer community not feeling bi enough and how important it is for them to actually join the community and especially talking about how often and this is really sad when you think about it how our identity or experience is queer or being queer enough is validated by the amount of trauma and discrimination that we've experienced mm-hmm. so it's just like okay i'm queer if i've been a victim of a hate crime or if i don't necessarily have quote-unquote straight privilege um And I'm not saying like, obviously your life as like a bi woman married to another man is not going to be as challenging as a transgender, you know, black woman, but that doesn't make you any less queer, right? Like being a victim of a hate crime doesn't make you any less or any more queer. And it's so sad that like our identity is validated by how much oppression or discrimination we experience, as opposed to no, it's about our attractions. It's about our feeling. It's about the love. It's about feeling part of the community. And I think it's so important to have that switch being like, you you are queer enough. You are bi enough. Obviously, you know, acknowledge your privilege. You know what it is and do and help other people who are less fortunate than you. But like, we actually want those people as part of the community so they can help and support us as well. Instead of being like, no, you, you don't deserve a seat at the table.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I think a lot, like a lot of those bicurious women are probably going to flourish into bisexuals. Not all of them, but a lot yeah. of them are going to flourish into bisexuals. If they can kind of like find a way, like if they can find like relatable bisexual stories that make yeah. sense to them so that they can like find themselves. Yeah, and just one other thing I wanted to comment on and what you were saying, but it's kind of going back a little bit is the stuff about straight men. There's been this weird discourse in some queer culture of like calling out straight men for like wearing dresses or wearing lipstick because it's like considered appropriation. And there's there's been cases where I think this even happened in Quebec where there was like a bunch of like high schoolers who mm. decided to like wear they were like base I mean we're assuming they're straight we're assuming they're cis like whatever they're just like young uh, young also guys. we don't know
2: right we, we don't, really know. don't know yeah. and they might flourish and grow into later, later and this or maybe part they're straight yeah but, like, it could not- be either
0: way but they wore dresses at, to school to be in solidarity with queers and also like women who were experiencing like dress code shit in their school you know sexist dress code shit and they were like yeah we're gonna wear dresses in solidarity and then like a bunch of like millennial queers like got really mad about it and started saying that they were like appropriating and i'm like guys like We want, like, less restriction on our gender. Like, like,
1: like, straight boys wear a skirt. Like, (laughs) what the fuck,
2: man? It's like, especially they're doing this in solidarity and support. If they're wearing a dress and then making fun of themselves and being the butt of the joke or being assholes, yeah, yeah, fuck these dudes. Clearly, they're doing this to support uh, queer people, women, whatever the dress code violations or whatever bullshit was happening. Like... I mean, we love to shoot ourselves in the fucking foot, like, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? But just being like, yes, like, let us be more inclusive. Let us not say, and of course, it's just like a lot of these conversations. If we tell someone, like, you can't do something, you can't be a part of this, even though you want to explore this, like, most people are not going to be like, oh, like, thank you. They're going to say, fuck you. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so the way I always appreciate, you know, I was just on a podcast with the stripper writer
1: Mm -hmm. and and she asked me
2: what my... uh, most like not controversial opinion was but or something like about that and i kind of said something about how i really believe in the way that we call out people um is not actually beneficial right Mm -hmm. and i think i believe more in call in culture and how it could be more and after i finished she's like oh you're like friends with clementine right are you following i literally said something obviously i said in my own language i was like oh my god that was pretty funny i'm like yes i'm going on her podcast in a few days Uh, yeah we know it, it was pretty uh that was a lot of fun uh, they were, yeah, that was great. But um, yeah, so I obviously have similar belief systems <laughs> to you guys. Nice. Um,
1: you you've written about uh, a concept that you call bisexual audibility rather than visibility, which I think is amazing. You want to just like run our listeners through this concept real quick? Sure.
2: So I I'm proud to say that I've coined this. Um, but the <laughs> idea is, you know, uh, obviously visibility is important. I sometimes get a little frustrated by the. Um, kind of term itself, because it's been like overused, and it's kind of hailed as this like panacea that's going to fix fix all social and equity problems. I think visibility is the first step, right? It's acknowledging that, hey, we exist, we are here, we want to be treated with respect. And that's like, for us to for the majority group to recognize us. And then also for the minority group, the people to be like, hey, we are not alone. But one thing that is challenging with bisexual visibility is like how, how do you be visibly bi like unless if you have a man on one arm a, a, a woman on the other arm and a nine binary person on your third <laughs> arm and you're in like a, a quad and polyamorous which sounds like my heaven but like it's very difficult to be seen as bisexual and like you know because if you're a man and holding hands with another man they assume you're gay mm-hmm. or uh, otherwise you're straight and so and we don't even have the same way. Like, yes, I'm seeing more and more people like flagging bisexual flag colors in a way that I actually love, in a way to be like, oh, they're wearing like bi colors or saying it. And that's a way. But like, we don't have the same elements of like flagging bisexuality. We honestly don't even have like bi stereotypes. Th- We're starting the same to way. develop
0: them though. That's we are. Like, <laughs> we like to have like three drinks at the same time.
2: Three drinks at the same time. Have you heard that? As, <laughs> uh, no, I actually cleaned up my desk before this, but otherwise I would have had a coffee. Uh, yeah. A monster in, yeah. a, in a water jug here.
0: Like one for hydration, one for energy, and one just for fun.
2: Exactly, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, like if you see a, a woman with green hair and a nose piercing and cuff jeans, like okay, she's probably by. You know what I mean? Like there are <laughs> certain, there are certain. I think we're getting more into it. But yeah, it's very difficult to be visibly bisexual. And so the way I kind of get around this is we need to be audibly bisexual or bisexual mm. audibility, which in short just means being as loud and obnoxious about being bisexual as humanly possible and really stating the, like it's important to use the word bi. And if you prefer pan or queer, that's fine, but que- queer is a little different. Pan and bi kind of mean mm-hmm. more of the same thing. You know, I know a lot of queer people who are just a try. you know, Totally. Essentially, their attractions are are just gay. It's a man attracted to another man, but th- they use the word queer. Right. But it's important to just actually say the word to use it. And I realized this when you know I first came out as bi, embraced it. I knew very few bi people. and But I was someone who was comfortable talking about my bisexuality at bars when I met new people. And it was wild how often someone would be like, oh, I've actually dated men, too. I've dated women, too. I've had crushes. Right. I've had sex. I've wanted to explore this. And within seconds, I'm put into the therapist mode because it's, Mm -hmm. it's so clear that they wanted to be able to talk about this for so long and they had no one they were able to talk to that they are bearing their soul to a fucking stranger at the bar. And this is the way to do it. And I really make sure to use, yeah, use the B word to say bisexual, Mm -hmm. there is power in it. It's importance in it. Like we get community, we get like visibility or audibility, um, So I think, yeah, in this world of like, uh, potentially, and again, I want you to identify however you see as fit. I think that's important to you, but when we have so many labels or people who don't do labels in a way where it's like, well, we actually, I I think it's very important to actually say the word bisexual and Mm -hmm. to allow others to hear it. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what bisexual audibility is about.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, uh. No, I re- I really like that. And we're going to move on from the subject in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, I think for for bisexual men, there is almost no representation like at all. You know, there's like, like, honestly, like in even in like, in like, in, in like mainstream media, I can think of like one character, like, off the top of my head. It's like the guy from that fucking spinoff of Doctor Who, whatever it's called. Um, and yeah. uh you know what I'm talking
2: about? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know what we are talking about. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about – so the next book I'm going to write is actually going to be a novel, which I'm excited about. Oh, and it's going to have a, a male bisexual protagonist because – Nice, of, nice. Of course. Right? And like my favorite books that include bi men right now are like uh, – I, I really liked Red, White, and Royal Blue. People like wanted to not enjoy it. Uh, you guys didn't like <laughs> never it. never heard of it. I haven't heard of oh, really? it. Oh, it's literally getting like the Amazon series with Uma Thurman in it or a movie. Okay. It's like it's a huge book and written by uh a woman. And then there's the Song of Achilles, which is like the famous one, which is fucking incredible too. I i read it a lot because of what I do, but like so the best, the biggest buy bi books about or that have bi men are written by women, but in a way that doesn't have to include uh queer culture in it. So like Ooh. obviously Song of Achilles is about like historically um Achilles who's uh, um I have this relationship with, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I've only read it like Petrolicus, whatever it is. And it's this queer romance that's amazing, but she's not talking about grinder culture or modern day culture uh-huh, uh-huh. right now. So it's just kind of about their love and red, white and royal blues about the first son of the United States who falls in love with the Prince of England. Super kitschy. I thought it was very cute, very excited for the <laughs> movie that's coming out. But again, these guys aren't on, Grinder going to gays yeah, bars, now course, getting yeah. Hell's Kitchen because he's the, the son of the president and the Prince angry or whatever it is. And so, like, I want to actually start seeing bi culture and even like when you see like Crazy Ex Girlfriend, for example, that kind of had that famous character of the, the the lawyer, her her boss that comes out as bi, and it's very cute. But it's just men who have an attraction to like, the multiple all genders, whatever you want to say. But they're not actually a part of queer culture or bi-culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I really mm-hmm. would love to see more of that, and that's why I'm super excited to write this book, where it's not just going to be about, like, oh, falling in love with a man and a woman. It's going to be about,
1: like, yeah, yes. the bi-identity yeah. in a way that I haven't
2: seen done before, which yeah. I'm really looking forward to.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, like… I don't know. I was gonna, what I was gonna say was that, like, there's very little representation of gay, of, uh, sorry, bisexual men. And then for, for bisexual women, I think that, like, th- there's definitely, like, more representation, but a lot of it has gotten sort of, like, subsumed into this murky, like, non-binary queer world, you know, where, like, it, no one's really naming, like, Bisexual woman you know mm-hmm. Yeah um, and everyone's just sort of like Green haired and something pierced you know
0: I feel like there's been a slight change like because For years you talk about this in the book but for years When I said I was bi I was constantly being like Subtly scolded by everyone around me For, oh my God, it's so for being transphobic Or like even though like half the people I date are non-binary And like whatever and half of them are bisexual But like I would Get scolded for that and people Would just be like well I don't really use that word and for a while It was like oh I just use queer Or then it became I use pansexual but I think there's starting to be a shift and not too long ago my house we had a party and there was like I don't know maybe like 25 people there and someone was like I think there's a lot of bisexual people here so I just yelled into the room I was like if you're not bisexual raise your hand and two people put up their hand and we had one heterosexual and one gay so I was very proud
2: (laughs) it's I love that and you're not the first person to tell me that so I, we had a lot of like, it was almost the millennial initial, the imm- millennial mm-hmm. pushback from bi. Yeah. And I'm seeing Gen Z actually just be like, no, 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 bi's fine. Like like this word works and defines my sexuality. Yeah. It's not exclusionary um, in any way, shape or form. Everyone kind of knows what it means. And I always talk about this in terms of like, you know, when I write for men's health, I have a lot of guys in like fifties and sixties who read my work and they're straight guys. Or they thought they were straight. They're realizing they're bisexual. They Googled to find me. They don't feel comfortable clicking on an article on out.com. They don't mm-hmm. cl- feel comfortable clicking on pride.com. That's too much. But men's health, yeah. they will click on. And if I use the word pansexual, they would oh, yeah. literally not be able to find me. They, yeah. they like, like for <laughs> totally. SEO purposes, like they literally would not even totally. know what it was. And it would actually be a way that would not – yeah they wouldn't find my work they wouldn't realize they were bi they wouldn't come out to their wives as bi. have this have much happier life um there is power in this word because it has such a long history to it and mm-hmm. everyone knows what it means in some way obviously there's so many different definitions of it and people get i think a little sometimes too bogged down in the nuance it's like mm-hmm. yeah, oh, we're yeah. trying to fuck come on like if yeah. we find you hot <laughs> we find you hot let's, let's let's take a step back a little bit. Totally. Um, But no, I have seen a much greater embrace of bisexuality. I've been like thinking about just when I go to prides like around and I always often end up traveling during pride for work because June is just a big queer month or travel month Mm -hmm. for me. So I've been to a lot of prides and seeing the number of bi flags Mm -hmm. specifically by uh, women who are like 18 to 25, like – Everywhere. Like I'm seeing so many more bi-flags or people in the bi-flag colors than I did when I went to Pride events 10 years ago. So mm. we're seeing this embrace of it in younger generations, um, which I think is great.
0: Totally. Um, so one of the main themes in your – in Boy slide and in your new book, um, which you've already mentioned, but I want to ask you to dive into a little bit, is sexual shame. So do you want to just talk to us about sexual shame, where you think it comes from, why it's so bad for us, and kind of give us some of the gems from the book on sexual shame?
1: Why is shame bad?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Why is shame bad? Um, God, it's – you know, I've been getting this question a lot, right? And it's so tough. I'm like, read the book because it's kind of the the whole (laughs) thing is in there. But it, it's just, yeah, as I kind of said a little earlier, it's so pervasive, it's so insidious. And I think one shift that we're starting to see in terms of actually the way sex is spoken about in mainstream, like mags and, and media, which I actually appreciate, is how sex uh, impacts your mental health, how it impacts your physical health, and how it's not just this one thing for pleasure. And I think. That's what I talk about with sexual shame, Mm. where, like, a lot of people think, like, oh, you have a bad sex life, fine, that's not going to impact any other aspect of your life, and it's like, no, sex is a huge part of your life, and if you experience sexual shame, or you don't have a satisfying sex life, or you're denying yourself pleasure, or the opportunity to have gay experiences, like you're going to be a shitty partner. You're going to be shitty at work. You're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be sad. You're like, like your life is going to fucking suck. So I think a lot of this book I'm explaining is like how sex and sexual shame, it, yeah it, it impacts every single aspect of your life in ways that you might not realize. And that's why it's so important to unpack, uh, and to delve into and as to why we experience it like you know it's kind of the same shit that i i think you know i'm gonna say you know it's puritanical Mm -hmm. culture and conservative zealots and a lot of you know christianity people being fucking terrible not that all christianity is bad obviously not but people really can use it to be fucking bigoted assholes here um and yeah it's one of the things that i also hope i show in this book is how much better your life is without sexual shame, and how much Mm. freer you feel. And when you find your community, your friend group, and you surround yourselves with other people who support you and your slutty antics who love you for who you are, and you don't feel shame, like, my life is infinitely better than it's ever been. And, and that's incredible. And I think we can all find that Community, we can find those people and live this life, you know. And of course, I still have some elements of shame. I'm not like, I'm not perfect, I'm not a robot, but I'm able to identify it, label it, kind of think to myself, okay, who or what is trying to shame me? Because shame doesn't come from, like, an internal pressure. It's like, okay, am I hearing this in my mom's voice, in my pastor's voice? Okay, like, like, where is this coming from? Because it's not coming from me. And if you can label it being like, oh, these are the values I got from Christianity, and that's what's telling me to feel shame, I actually don't feel this way, it's much easier um, to tell these people, you know, or to tell your shame to fuck off. But, like, as you know, like, shame is a very effective tool to kind of control behavior. Right. That's why we Mm -hmm, slut shame mm -hmm. women, you know, is kind of the obvious one to, you know, tether them to men, to not give them autonomy. Um, And but you can even like in a capitalistic sense, like I feel shame when I'm not working my 90 hour weeks and like I'm like, what the fuck? Like, that's insane. Like, I'm allowed to work less hard, but like even capitalism is Mm -hmm. me into thinking that I have to be working nonstop. It's a very effective way to control behavior. So if you're thinking about who or what is trying to control you, uh, I think it's much easier to kind of remove
1: that shame. Hmm. I like what you said about uh trying to figure out whose voice it's in. Yeah. Um so in, in a lot of self-proclaimed like sex positive spaces, uh, there can still be a lot of sexual shame and hypervigilance around sexual risk, um, among other things. And we've noticed that this kind of sex negative or like puritanical behavior in like progressive world is uh often more prevalent in in queer spaces as, as opposed to gay spaces. Um I don't know. What do you think uh, gay culture can teach queer culture about sex positivity?
2: Oh my god, I got fucking eviscerated uh, for, for a chapter in my book about this shit by a lot. I think it was predominantly straight women who didn't know that, like, queer men... Many queer men in metropolitan areas don't have sex with condoms since the advent of PrEP. Uh, it is, from grinder Sniffies, it is... I've seen a condom in decades. You know, you know what I mean? And people being like, you are reckless. You are like your cavalier anti-condom attitude. And I'm like, (laughs) whoa, that is not at all what I'm advocating for. What I'm advocating for is sexual autonomy. And I talk about how in order to have sexual autonomy, you need to know the level of risk that you are taking. That's the only way that this works, which means people need to be honest and communicative about the levels of risk they're taking. I'm by sleep with a lot of women too. I let them know like, hey, I've unprotected sex with men. And some women who have a much higher risk tolerance, uh, or, or sorry, much lower risk tolerance for STIs have been like, hey, I don't even feel comfortable sleeping with you even with a condom. And I'm like, that's great. I'm glad I told you this and you have, you're have you allowed to make that decision. Most people are fine for me just to like, well, that's fine. We'll wear condoms. Um, and then some people are like, oh, thank God, I didn't want to wear a fucking condom with you, but was afraid of being deemed a slut or too easy or like, um, yeah, something like that. We don't have to wear condoms, but I'm very aware of like, you know, I get gonorrhea, I get chlamydia. And for me, it's not the biggest deal. I, I get my shot. I take my meds. I tell my partners, I don't have sex for a week while it clears and As someone – as a queer person who lived with such a fear of HIV for so long to the point that when I started having – hooking up with men, I couldn't get hard. And I thought initially it was because I didn't like men. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of getting AIDS. You know what I mean? Like it's just embedded in us. And so now we have this drug where we're allowed to like have unprotected sex, no longer fear getting HIV. And I'm not – You know, the other things are treatable. For the most part, or something that's very livable to have, that this is an informed choice that I'm allowed to take, right? So I'm all about sexual autonomy. I'm all about like being communicative, knowing the level of risk that you're taking, and not judging other people for having different, um, you know, risk tolerances. Like, we're like, I don't want to say my body, my choice, because it's not exactly an apt comparison, but like, yes, like you you can choose what you do with your body, obviously with the consent. Of your partners. But yeah, you just have to know the level of risk that uh you are taking so you can authentically consent.
0: Mm. So yeah, there's like an inherent risk to sexuality. Um, and I write about this because I think sometimes um with the enthusiastic consent model, which I actually call the contractual model because I think it resembles more of a laying out of a contract than actually producing enthusiastic consent often. Because for example, if you say, do you want me to do this? And the person says, yeah, um, like that's, you've secured the yes. But I think that consent is like a little bit more than just getting that. Yes. And it's a little bit more about paying attention to attunement and like more of a closer reading of what's going on for them anyway. But there is this inherent risk that even practicing enthusiastic consent even can never get rid of. Right. Because whether it's like getting an STI or just having an unsatisfactory sexual experience, like, there's basically the only risk-free sex that you could have is, like, maybe masturbation, but even then you might trigger yourself from, like,
2: <laughs>
1: thinking knows? something really, like,
0: surprising <laughs> or fucked up, you know? Um <laughs>
2: Yeah. So there are two kind of things here I want to discuss. So yeah, like that's why sex experts are moving away from saying safe sex to safer sex to acknowledging that all sexual um, behaviors have risk. Obviously, most people don't have uh, like oral sex with condoms. And we've deemed that as a completely acceptable risk, like societally, even though you can get oral gonorrhea and oral chlamydia. But for some reason, that's completely fine, uh, as opposed to deciding to not wear a condom during penetrative sex is like deemed completely not okay. Of course, yeah, they're the emotional risks of sex. You have a terrible experience. You feel used after sex. You didn't enjoy it. You got hurt. Whatever it is, like, there's always a risk in sex. And, yes, we do our best to mitigate those risks. But, like, like, I need people to acknowledge that, like, there is no such thing as, you know, a completely safe sexual experience. And you are always taking a risk in doing this. But yeah, I talk about this in the book as well. Enthusiastic consent versus opt out consent. Yeah. And uh, opt out consent is kind of what we see in a lot of gay spaces, a lot of gay sex spaces, where instead of being like, hey, can I kiss you? Can I touch you? Whatever, getting consent beforehand, it's more so okay, I might put my hand on your butt, or I might go into kiss. And that person will be uh, like, hey, no, I don't want to do this. And then that person – and then that has to be respected. So instead of a yes-means-yes model, it's more of a no-means-no model. And no form of consent is superior. And there's, uh, I think, also different elements of when it's two men, there's potentially less fear and power dynamics involved uh, than if it's a man and a woman. So I think it's actually going to be very Mm. difficult to have, like, a sex party that utilizes opt-out consent when it's men and women. Not impossible, but I I think there's probably more issues that can arise And a lot of the opt-out consent, like, it makes sense when a guy is ass up on a fucking sling taking bareback loads. You don't go up to him and be like, hey, is it okay if I uh, stick my penis in your butt right now? It's like, no, he's blindfolded. He wants it to be rough. He wants it to be anonymous. He wants that level of fear and adrenaline. And if you create almost a safe space, that's antithetical to what he Mm. wants, right? And so, like... That it makes sense that why I opt out consent spaces are more common in gay culture. That said, I I wish spaces were more I wish there were more um, enthusiastic consent spaces for gay men in sex spaces. I don't see that. I see a younger generation wanting that. And then you get this weird divide when you have these men in your 30s, 40s, 50s with a guy who's potentially in their 20s who like think that enthusiastic consent is the model because that's what they've been reading about but it's actually not totally. in in um gay spaces so i wish that sex parties were clear being like hey this is a yes means yes model or this is a no means no model and, and that way you know what you have going into it i remember the first gay sex party i went to my boyfriend at the time maybe i don't know eight or first gay yeah gay male sex party maybe eight years ago whatever it was We ended up leaving in like four or five minutes. I felt very uncomfortable. I felt very uncomfortable being touched. I like, like people were coming up to me and grabbing me and I really didn't like it. I'm like, I want to get the fuck out of here. And we did. Now I know what these spaces are going into it. And I fucking love it. I fucking love it. That random people are grabbing me. I fucking love it. That I don't have to ask someone to slap their ass. I can just fucking slap their ass that they're holes up for me. And I can just fuck every single one of them. That is incredible. But again, I wish just sex parties were clear about the model going into it.
0: And I really feel basically like what you're saying in reverse could be useful for queer women because I feel like queer women are having the opposite problem where we are actually smothering our sexuality through our obsession with safety and risk aversion. And we basically enthusiastic consent ourselves to death. It's like yeah. lesbian deadbath through consent. And it's, like, literally this problem where, like, I have literally been in situations where I have been, like, literally dating a woman for months and months and months, and she still will be like, can I touch your arm? And the idea of being like, I don't need or want you to do that, and it's actually turning me off. Like, it's making this feel really robotic, and it's like, I would rather there was a little more spontaneity and a little more flow is in a lot of queer women's spaces They're freaked out by it because they're so worried about the possibility, the risk, which is always a risk that you might accidentally cross a boundary or you might accidentally do something unwanted. And my sense, you know, I think both like gay male culture and like like queer women's culture, we could learn things from each other here, you know, because I feel like gay men could use a little more care and a little more processing. (laughs) And like queer women, we could use a little less processing and a little (gasps) a little more spontaneity, you know
2: it's i i love that yeah and i don't like i'm sure there are gay men plenty of gay men who have crossed boundaries with me i'm not saying like not and they've definitely been too aggressive and too touchy even in sex spaces where i'm like i need you to back the fuck off i also have the autonomy and wherewithal to be like i feel comfortable saying that i'm a six mm-hmm. four big ass dude like um so so like i can say this but yeah no i like i don't want to make it seem like it, it, it's a free-for-all it's still not a free-for-all but at the same time yeah with queer women it's it's tough to navigate. I always try to say when people are very, very, like, enthusiastic consent after we've been hooking up for a while, being like – or actually even if it's not hooking up for a while. If I'm in a sex scene and they keep asking, I'll be like, hey, I'll uh-huh. let you know if something is – um, if I don't want you to do something. But that said, I want you to fucking do everything. So really just letting them know, like, you don't have to keep asking. Like, I, uh-huh. I feel comfortable enough saying no. And um, it's interesting. You know, like, I, I put myself – and potentially you could see like sexually risky positions and i'm Uh very aware of the risk that i'm taking that these are potentially dangerous positions and that's what turns me on and i'm okay with this and sometimes i've come back being like i really didn't enjoy that experience it was too rough and that's okay like Uh i went into this knowing that that's a potential but most of the time it's not well i love like leaving my door unlocked and then i'll have like a blindfold on and i'll have my head over bed and they just like throat fuck the shit out of me and i fucking love that that is so hot that turns me the fuck on it's like yeah like I, i'm aware that this could potentially go poorly and has it at times <laughs> yes it has done times but most of the time it is not and i also know that if it does go poorly i will be okay i won't be like necessarily feeling as like okay i can never do this again it's trigger I'll be like hey that was a shitty experience i might take a time off from doing this or i might be like ah, that sucked okay i'm okay to keep going on so knowing like Also, like, your level of how triggered Mm -hmm. you would be almost, in a Mm. sense, is important to be like, is this something – and if you're like, oh, I actually think I'd be okay with this, knowing that if this went wrong, this would not shatter me, it would just be like, oh, a shitty experience. And that's why I have, you know, men and female friends who absolutely have more crazier, wilder sexual experiences, and even though they've been sexually assaulted, they're like, well, I I knew I put myself – again, not victim blaming, but, like, they're like, I put myself in a very Mm. situation where this could have happened – and I'm okay with that. So knowing kind of the level of risk that you're taking uh is important. Again, with I'm not trying to victim blame there, but they know, like, yeah, I, I did this dangerous thing and that there was the potential for this happening. It was a higher risk, and I I took it and that's okay.
0: Totally. I think this is one of the main lessons that I would like the queer culture that I am a part of, the more sapphic queer culture yeah. um to take from gay men and gay male culture. Because I think what you're talking about is like sexual responsibility and like responsibility for the choices you make around your own risks and taking some sense of like I know going into this that there are certain risks and that's a that's a responsibility that I'm like sharing with the partner like but both of us are holding some of it yeah and it's not just like if I have a negative experience I'm not just going to solely blame the other person. And I'm not talking about like a sexual assault, but I'm talking about just like, you know, if things don't totally go the way you, way you planned, it wasn't totally satisfying, you know, that both partners are like holding that. It's not just the one who was like more the top or the more initiatory partner, you know? Um, But unfortunately Uh, uh in queer women's culture and reading your book, I was like, damn, because In queer women's culture, we were talking about the call out stuff like I have seen call outs of queer women and it's fucking sad because they actually were trying to practice basically more or less enthusiastic verbal consent as the model that is. But they like didn't totally ask for everything and they thought they were having a good sexual experience and then they later are called out in a horrible way on the Internet as like basically a sexual predator when they thought they had like a nice date with a girl and now they're being like exiled from their community and it's like a whole fucking thing and it's actually like queer, queer women's worst nightmare you know because they're it's, so
2: careful with consent it's i mean and that's why i still always err on the side of caution you know what i mean because you never do know especially with women as opposed to men i think again because the norms are different and i definitely am someone who probably does do overly enthusiastic consent potentially out of fear of that of that reason as well but also and and i'm like and for me it's like the risks are just like not it's like okay i'll keep asking and most of the women i'm with will if they are annoyed by it they'll be like you're fine like just do what you want to do like like this is good but yeah and that's why i mean i still recommend you know err on the side of caution always Mm -hmm. err on the side of enthusiastic consent for what you're saying but it's kind of a shame that that's what you have to do
1: yeah, I like what you were saying about um it's in your book actually you were mentioning like this idea of just having spaces um um explicitly label uh what kind of consent practices is in yeah, the there, right? Th- that'd be and great. I think that like people should be aware that there's like more than one type of totally, consent and exactly. that they're like they can be equally like valid. Um and yeah, like but it, I think it would be a good idea if you walk into a sauna uh to have a sign that's basically like this is like a no means no kind of space you know like it's it's you're you're welcome to touch people if they tell you to fuck off you have to fuck off immediately right and then i think that also it would be good to have yeah like in other spaces you know it'd be like this is more like a yes means yes you gotta you gotta ask people before you touch them etc etc that's fine also i think that in relationship this is like a really useful thing and that's what you were just touching on but like yeah i i'm i mean i'm the same way i think like with when if i'm hooking up with somebody on grinder who wants me to come over and like you know, just smack him around. Like, I'm not necessarily going to be like, do you mind if I smack you now, (laughs) you know? Um, But, uh, you know, if I'm going on like a, if I go on like a Tinder date with a girl, like I'm going to be a lot more careful about it for obvious reasons, man. I don't think anybody needs to be walked through those reasons. Um, But as you were saying, like what you, what you can do, what anyone can do is, um, especially after a couple of dates with somebody, you can check in about this kind of shit and be like, "Do, do you prefer uh, to be sort of like asked for every, everything or do you not? Because a lot of people fucking don't. In, in fact, yeah. I would say the the huge majority of people probably don't, you know what I mean? Like they, they would like to feel safe, like the, you know um, when they're getting to know you. Right. And then afterwards they're like, okay, like I, now I feel comfortable with you. I'll fucking let you know if there's a problem. And if, you know, if I, can't because i'm freezing up or uh i have a gag in my mouth or something like i can like tap my hand or something like this right like there's ways to get around this without having to have everything be this one overarching model of consent that the that like a certain sort of like crowd has decided is like the only way that you're ever allowed to do anything which sorry i'm just on a rant now no um, go for it i love it which which is like really it can it can get really irritating. And I'm sure that you've experienced this when these people try to impose it on spaces that don't normally practice that style of consent, like the sauna, you know, and it's like, it's like fine if people have like a different expectation and they go into it and they're sort of like, well, this is weird. Like I, you know, I'm I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with this, but it's like. Is it your sort of right to go into spaces that historically have not used this model of contractual consent and like try to force them to change it? Like, does that make sense? You know, anyways, so that's something that obviously I think about quite often.
2: <laughs> no, no, I love this. And it's, uh, I do love the idea of d- doing these check-ins with relationships Uh, and I'm going to probably write about that if I may steal uh-huh. that from you guys, no, you know, but like in a way of just being like, yeah, after a couple dates being like, Hey, i uh, like. Is this something you feel comfortable with? Do you prefer I keep checking in? Do you prefer you don't? And that's it. It's a simple conversation to have uh, that I feel like enough people are not having. Yeah.
0: It's it's like if I, if I could just complicate this maybe slightly further just to be a little spicy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Honestly, because like when I was reading your book, I – There's a lot that I relate to as a bisexual and kind of just like the anxiety of early bisexual experiences, early like same-sex experiences as a bisexual person where you're like, ah, like what's happening? I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know what's going on, right? And you talk about the first time that you fuck a guy in the ass. And that story of is a crazy story, um, probably actually a very normal story for a lot of uh, my guys. But basically, like, you know, <laughs> you get fucked up on cocaine and you you like are like drunk and like you're with this guy and you're still hesitating, though, because like it's such a big act to take that act. And yeah. you're kind of you're scared to do it. And yeah. he. Take, he takes your cock, puts some lube on it and puts just slides your cock in there, right? Like, he wasn't like, do you mind if I put your cock in my ass? And I'm like, in that story, like, there was – and I and I guess what I'm trying to say is that in real life, people do things in a kind of messy way. And that could have gone differently if you had then been like, ah, I didn't totally want that, but you did want it. You know what it, I mean? It,
2: it's such – I was talking about this, and this is such a gray fucking area yeah. that I, I have no – like, I, I almost don't want to touch. I mean, this is probably the podcast I can touch yeah, it, uh, yeah. on it, right? Like, yeah. Well, I
0: think we need to go here. Uh, we need to talk about but
2: this. I, I think about this in college recently and, like, how I, I be, had a reputation of being one of the straight guys. I went to Vassar, which is a very gay school, if you're not familiar with it, a small abroad school. And – but I had a reputation where, like, I was a straight guy, but if you got him drunk enough, he would hook up with you. And so, like, but I – but was so afraid of hooking up with guys sober. Uh I purposely put myself in situations where I was blackout so I could hook up with guys. And in a way, like these guys were somewhat taking advantage of me, but I needed to be fucked up in order to do this. And I wanted them to be aggressive and take advantage of me that like, I, I never, like, I, I kind of needed that, but it's a weird thing where it's like, if that was not the case, then it's like, oh, these men are fucking assaulting and assholes. But for me, I actually wanted them to get me fucked up, to take advantage of me, because otherwise I would have said no, and so I needed the liquid courage, I needed them to be aggressive, and I had a friend I'm friends with uh, now uh, – one of the first guys I – I talk about it in the book. So not had penetrative sex with, but when he – I was so drunk my second week of college, and he blew me, and I went to go vomit twice in the middle of him blowing me to show you how fucked up I was. And he – I saw him at the the sex party that actually I was throwing, uh, like literally – Twelve years after this experience, he's like Zach. I felt so bad about this. I feel like we were like so drunk, and I knew you were straight, and I was taking advantage of you. I said no. Like I was the one taking shots because I needed that to do this. Mm. Like like I did not feel taken advantage of. Uh, he's like I just feel like I was like I'm like you. You really were not at all, and I don't look back on that thinking that you were trying to manipulate me or assault me. Like th- this is almost what I needed. So yeah, it's a weird thing because if that was not the case then these guys are fucking assholes. But totally. in my case, that's exactly what I needed. So it's, yeah. it's weird. It, it, like, how do you navigate? Like, like it's, It is. It is. Ugh. And I
0: think that, like, at least being honest, that there is this, like, confusing gray area in sex, I think is important because I think when we yep. just start drawing these lines of, like, you know, because, like, that story, you know, of, of the guy just sort of taking the initiative and being like, here, I'm just going to guide your cock so that we just get yep. started. You know, in a way, like it wasn't verbal consent, but he was probably reading that you seemed like you probably really wanted, wanted to. this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's like, he's not just doing something out of nowhere. He is reading the room, but it is like, you know, if he had been like, do you want this? It might have not worked either because I, you I probably would have said, out.
2: no, no, that would have been exactly. like, uh, that's too much. I just need to fucking happen. And so I'm appreciative yeah. of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. it, it,
2: it, it's, it, but yeah, it's a weird, uh, these great. A- <laughs> lines are really challenging and, and yeah there are big risks at fucking up totally. if you kind of do this right you, exactly. you really could uh hurt someone um but it's yeah I, maybe it's acknowledging the level of risk I don't know I don't know how to solve like that everything yeah. is messy and nuanced but like yeah I, I've been thinking about that recently I, I think since he's apologized for me I'm like no no I I, I actually I really don't need an apology from you but I pre- but I appreciate it but no I he's like yeah it's been bogging me down for a decade right. i'm like oh I'm, I'm sorry that you felt that way but yeah yeah
0: well thank you for wading into the gray area i don't think thank we need you. to solve it in this episode yeah. but i think it's <laughs> like i think it's good especially for like sex educators and people who do work on consent which both you and i do yeah. to be honest that it is it is a bit of a gray area sometimes and it is a bit yeah. messy and confusing and like Yeah. Because that's what people's real lives are like. And I think if we try to pretend that it's this very simple, like check the box thing, it doesn't really help people because they're in real life where things do get a little confusing and messy. And
1: yeah. yeah, man. And this, the idea that you can't, you know, give consent of any kind, if you're fucked up is uh i guess like a nice idea in theory but in practice it's like so many fucking people not just sort of like bi guys who are in the closet get blackout drunk in college order to have sex, the entirety you know? of college the <laughs> yeah, enti- like,
2: everyone i know was blacked out having sex in college yeah. like w- yeah. or like other, like everyone
1: the entirety uh, of it other than like dating apps like where do people meet yeah. to have sex at a bar like yeah. that's like yeah. the only place <laughs> that you can like go with the purpose of having sex you know um and well i mean other than i guess like sex clubs for people who are into that kind of thing you know but like for normal people i guess uh yeah, yeah. like so many people are fucked up so often and it's just sort of like is everyone just constantly experiencing like low-level sexual assault for like every experience they have like i i some people might argue that you know um but i think that that's pretty that's a pretty bleak picture of what's going on and i think yep. that it's potentially a bit more complicated than that and you know i i really resonate with that as someone who also used to have to have to get completely blackout drunk to hook up with with dudes you know yeah um it's yeah, tr-
2: I, I also want to encourage like try to do it sober i think that is important <laughs> to do, like you know increase yeah, your sexuality yeah. sober like as we're talking and, about this and i and you know what cold.
1: like it's you've got me thinking about a whole bunch of stuff now, you know, and we were like talking earlier about like the lack of representation of bisexual men, you know, um, but I think that like there there's there was like a when I was when I was growing up, there was like a huge lack, not just of representation in media, but of like any uh, content or media or anything at all that was like actually aimed at bisexual men, you know, especially men who were like not uh coming up like in gay world, you know, who were like more like in straight world and then oh. trying to figure things out. Right. And like one of the things that I didn't realize, you know, when I was when I was like 18 years old was that like to be into men uh didn't mean that I had to be into all men, you know? Yeah. And so and so I was just sort of like, well, I know that I have like same sex attraction, right? Like because I fucking like feel it and I know myself. Um and so I want to act on it. But like, then I would like act on it and I'd be like, wow, that was like a really like bad experience, you know? And it was because I was basically just like... Trying to hook up with like any any man who like might want to hook up with me, you know, because like I didn't know that I was allowed to have fucking preferences, you know. Mm -hmm. And like then I realized that like when I when I realized that you're allowed to have preferences and in gay world, as I'm sure you know, you're allowed to have like very specific preferences. Um, you know, everything changes all of a sudden, right? And I think that like a lot of young dudes who are trying to like work this shit out and have to get fucking blackout drunk to to have sex it's like maybe it's like maybe you're not a bottom you know or like maybe maybe you fucking don't like uh hair on on people's chests or like whatever it is you know and like you're just you're allowed to have those like those preferences that position whatever it is you know
2: it's and i I talk about this in the book i think when i first hooked up with a guy i really expected to have this light bulb moment is, is what i call it where it's just like i would kiss him and like immediately be like oh my god every relationship i've had with a woman was fake and terrible this is right. what love truly is or i'd like kiss him and be like that's kind of gay i'm not into this like you know whatever <laughs> it is like uh, like i don't like this shit like and when that didn't happen because like oh I, at the time i was so fucked up that I like I, I couldn't even enjoy the experience i was so in my head um And I was just like neutral about it. It led to so much more confusion Mm -hmm. because I expected to be like, wait, well, fuck, like I put so much pressure on this and then being like, okay, I actually need someone who I'm attracted to and like to really focus on it, not be that fucking blackout. Maybe a little tipsy is fine, but like be more present in the situation to like feel more comfortable, whatever it is. But yeah, so it's, I don't want to say if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Like it might not be for you, but at the same time. Yeah, not expecting that your first situations with men totally. immediately will provide this level of clarity.
1: You might have to shop around a little bit to uh, yeah. figure out what you're into. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so you talk a lot in the book, about just like owning your sexual desires, whatever yeah. they may be, being brazen in that, and <clears throat> and just asking for what you want. So, can you just talk to us about that, like the power of just being direct? You make this comparison towards like ordering something at a restaurant. Um, to, oh like, yeah, yeah, where you're like ordering just like a specific omelet or something that you want, versus like asking for like this very perverted and specific kink. You know, yeah. As, like, can you just have the same vibe? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was saying, like, wow, you, you really delved into it. I appreciate it. No, yeah. it's uh, – I <laughs> the way I said it, it's just like, you know, if, if you're at a, a diner asking for an omelet and it's an untraditional omelet where you're like, whatever, I want shrimp and feta and then asparagus, you'd be like – you want to be like, hey, I'm, I I know this is so weird and you might not be into it. you just be like, oh, can, can I get this? And you kind of carry on with your way. And I think, yeah, people are so obviously afraid to express their sexual desires um because they are afraid of rejection they're afraid yeah i guess actually that's the main reason they are afraid of rejection they're afraid of being judged um and one thing i've kind of learned with um stating like like a kink or even talking about your bisexuality where it's like if you make it seem like Th- this is like you having cancer people are going to treat you as a cancer patient like so when i went like like in a way and maybe that's not the, the best app comparison here uh, but like but it's a way of just being like if you're like oh my god if you are embarrassed about it and you are so apologetic about it and you think something is wrong with it uh then they're going to pick up on that energy and then kind of direct it back to you so when i say things about my kinks, hey, I'd be really into doing X, Y, Z, if that's fun- something you're interested in exploring. I don't qualify it. Mm. I don't say, like, I know this is weird. I know you might not be able. I'm at the end. I say, like, hey, if it's something you're interested in exploring. Um, And then if they're like, oh, no, that's not for me, obviously you do not respond like an asshole. Just as you are allowed to request, they're allowed to say no. And then you're like, okay, so what's something that you'd like to explore? And that's it. But I think mm. if you can just have these – conversations a lot simpler more director and without this anxiety or nerves like i actually think you're much more likely for people to be like huh never tried that before but okay let's give it a shot uh and to experience less shame or judgment but yeah if you're already shaming yourself or judging yourself they're gonna shame and judge you
0: Can I just ask one follow-up question about that? Sure. Because I think a lot of people, what happens when they try that is when they hear the no, which they're going to hear at least a percentage of the time, right? Yeah, of course. Um, They have like a shame boomerang. Um, Yeah. And so like, even though they don't, and I find with, queer woman, then they have a shame boomerang about having a shame boomerang because like they they're like oh feel god. Shame, but yeah, yeah. and then they're like oh god the fact that i feel shame about this is now making me like i'm like i should have just accepted that no with total like no emotional response you know but it's like it's kind of normal like for that to press some buttons and i think people worry about that emotional reaction like leaking out and being yeah. visible to the other person and then that so coming... you don't want to
1: you don't want to sulk when someone says no yeah right? and you yeah, want to pressure
0: course. so like Do you have any advice for people if they feel the shame boomerang? Like, what's the best thing to do?
2: Oh, God. It's (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I have an answer to that. I I, I think I will say it's a muscle you have to flex. Mm. I do think over time it will get easier. You get used to it. Uh, Obviously, I want to be like kind of say the basic like almost therapist shit of being like, allow yourself to experience those emotions. Those are normal and healthy. Obviously, if you get rejected, it can hurt uh do your best to not put that onto the other person and maybe the, the the thing to do is maybe to kind of move on quickly from it like i kind of what i say is like mm. okay yeah that's fine is there something you'd be interested in exploring so that way you almost don't have ne- necessarily the time to like right. shame boomerang Totally. But i i think the answer is yeah like uh... It's not a great answer, but it's like, do your best. And I do think with time, this is a muscle you will flex. It so will get easier being rejected. And you, you cut yourself some slack if you can.
1: Zachary Zane, what do you love most about being a boy slut?
2: Oh, my, the sex. No, um, I, 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 I think um, I, I do. I mean, I just love that there's always new and exciting shit to do. You know, I, I've been a sex columnist for a while now, and I still get some questions with like people having these wild kinks that I've never even fucking heard of. And I'm someone who's very game to pretty much do anything. There's very few things that I'd be like, nah, I don't want to try this. So I think I just love. I find sex fascinating, like on a like a psychological level, and seeing what turns people on, and being able to explore this with so many different people and explore new and wild and crazy things. There's always something new and different sexually that I can try. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, And another element is I love the community that I found. I really have found this poly sex, positive kinky community. I'm going to a a sex party tonight called hit me up, which is a kink positive kink forward party. And I'm excited Mm -hmm. to get just shit kicked out of me. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to set up, I'm going to get tied up and probably pegged. (laughs) It's going to be a great time. Like this is my life. I think I'm at my 16 year, but I'm like bogged down doing a shit ton of fucking emails, which it doesn't matter what your profession is. I still have 200 mm. emails I'm going through a day. Like, and I think about how like insecure and afraid I was to talk to like women at 16, how terrified I was of rejection, how I thought I was going to die a virgin. And, and I'm like, <laughs> look at my life now. My life is mm-hmm. awesome. Like, like this is, I have a fun community. I get to explore like i'm happy and fulfilled in a way that i really haven't been is there a lot of drama in the poly community yes there is that's the one thing we are dramatic bitches in this fucking group i will say that much but uh i wish there was a little less drama would be the thing and i really try to not be a part of the drama but mm. we are a gossipy drama uh group but beyond that i love the community and i love mm. the people yeah
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. So just to close out, like where can people find out more about your work and how can they support you?
2: Yeah. So definitely you can buy Boy Sled anywhere books are sold. On Amazon, it is one word and that's because of sex negativity. If we did as two words, we would have gotten dinged on Amazon. It would not have shown up. I realized this was like a huge issue. We didn't know what the fuck to title it. And that's how we got away with it when Mm. we realized that Carly Scorantino's Sled Ever did not get dinged because it was one word and a fake word. We're like, okay, if we do Boy Sled, it, it won't get dinged. So it is one word and people message me being like, I can't find it. And I'm like, that's why. So Boy Slut, one word on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Uh, I'm big on instagram i finally got off twitter for my mental health i don't have mm-hmm. as thick of skin as you guys i wish i did uh but so we we're like, not I on I... twitter oh, yeah, i'm not on <laughs> fucking twitter man oh, okay I yeah. Handle that shit. okay yeah I'm like, I'm like i can't do this i'm not enjoying this so instagram <laughs> is where i am at zachary zane underscore i have a website zacharyzane.com and last but not least i have a digital zine also called oh, Voice yeah. but, which oh, nice. is either very good branding or very confusing i i don't know but <laughs> In that, I publish nonfiction erotica, and most are written by me, uh, but I also have at least one other writer, contributor once a month, and it is raunchy, explicit, queer sex, real sex that happened to me and other people, and it's fun. People always message me exactly where they came in the story, which I think is pretty hilarious (laughs) and fun, And, and it's something where, like, it's not, sometimes it's just, like, smutty and that, but I do like that it's, like, A lot of it's like, oh, how I grew as a person. It speaks Mm. to something about like the intersection of like sex and technology or intergenerational differences between sex. So it is like I like to think they're pretty well written, if I may Mm. say so myself, for erotica. And I really appreciate that. But that's a fun kind of side project I've been doing that's actually exploded. So that's kind of the main thing that I'm doing that I really love. Um, And yeah, where can people
0: find the zine?
2: Hey, honestly if you just google boy sluts i uh you're gonna find the book you're gonna find the zine it's on right. substack uh oh, okay. you'll find me well, uh um, nice. yeah
0: amazing okay well thank you so much zachary it's been amazing
2: and yeah. everybody check
0: out check out the book boy slut
2: yeah thank you for this i got to speak more candidly than i usually get to so i appreciate <laughs> it <laughs>